all my friends, present, past and beyond Especially those who weren't with us too long Life is the most precious thing you can lose While you were here, the fun was never ending Life a minute was only beginning Can I call it Nichols, this one for you! my sound quality is it all right oh you like, sound, do I need to move closer or? you sound top quality fantastic working with rick so much yeah like, now i notice stuff because he's like no 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 hold on and he'll he'll tweak stuff and and like <laughs> <clears throat> but it's true now, now i listen to other people's shows and when when somebody's calling in on a weird mic or something i hear it well and this last episode that just dropped this week i i was kicking myself because i kept we were using the microphones we use in the same microphones we did the first episode that are professional mics that he has um because he came over to my place and we recorded three episodes at once i, I kept kicking myself because i was taking breaths i was <gasps> before i was talking and i was like god that sounds terrible why was i why don't i just like face away but i mean it's it's because that mic was picking up so much more stuff i've been noticing that i do a lot of mm-hmm uh-huh driving me crazy I think I think I say absolutely like absolutely yeah. <laughs> Affirming the other person in the conversation is good. I I think as long as as you you know people are listening and you're trying to 
occasionally address them and say, hey, I'm, we're glad you're listening. Uh, you know, here's what we take away from that. And we hope you will, too, because like if it just becomes two people talking, they can get way too casual sometimes. Like, I mean, and that's all it is, is too, is it's a conversation. But you want to acknowledge that somebody's listening or, or they don't they feel left out. And the whole thing is to try to include them in some way. Because I'm making so much money doing this, too. God, it's just rolling in. I'm so glad you want to talk about this movie, by the way. Um, I just watched it over, and it is so good. I know. It's so good. It's one of those movies that I try to get people to watch if they've never seen it. Yeah. One of my friends who I know from, uh, I was in a medieval uh, recreation group where I did, like, foam fighting for mm. probably 20 years. And one of the guys I met who's a good... 20 years younger than me and he was like he, he commented when i first put any mine on there that's great except for the effects so i was watching the effects and I'm like man there's nothing wrong with these effects They're like so good everywhere and you know i think the thing is you know it's not it's not the the destruction porn that you get in movies now where you know every building has to crumble and every explosion has to go to the moon it it, it was very it, it was very encapsulated and all the creatures were of practical effects, and all the makeup was there. It, but but they did, you didn't need to see a whole alien world, even though you do. No, I, I mean, I, I don't get what he was looking at. Maybe he was remembering it wrong. That would probably be my thought. I guess I could see maybe, well, why is it such a desolate planet? There's a whole lot of nothing. And that's kind of the point of the tone of the movie is being isolated and being alone. Yeah. So, I mean, if there's a bunch of animals and people running around, it <laughs> kind of destroys the point. But um, even where you totally know it's a matte painting, it's a beautiful matte painting. I agree. And I, I love that kind of, I don't know, almost like a stage play kind of thing. Okay, everybody, the, uh, the official rambling part of the show is about to begin. Welcome to the Psychosemantic Podcast. I'm here with Mr. Danny Bennett. It's not Benet, or it's not a French last name. It's not a French last name. Okay. It's Bennett. Uh, uh, it's Welsh. So this Danny Bennett is ultimately from Wales and currently from the Hail Ming Power Hour. You may That's have right. heard it, of it. Yeah, I came from Mongo. Uh, we we traveled to watch movies and not destroy the earth. That's the silly tagline, but you know we. Uh, I'm excited to be on your show and to talk about a great sci-fi movie like Enemy Mine. Uh, I am thankful to get the opportunity to go through these movies and, and put out a show to try and introduce people to the kind of things I grew up with that may be left behind now. Yeah, I, I kind of feel bad. Hopefully you guys will... St I feel like I stole a show out of your calendar picking Enemy well, Mine. Well, don't feel bad. I mean, if, if we're going to do it, we're going to still do it. I, I don't like to follow rules or to invent rules, kind of like, oh, we did this once, we can never do it again, or I have to do movies about this genre. If it's worth doing a second time, I'm not going to think twice about doing it twice, and I'm sure that we'll come up with more stuff to talk about the next time. I mean, you guys are just good, clean fun. Uh, oh, and speaking of clean fun, you can say fucking stuff here if you want to, but you don't <laughs> have to. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I've cursed twice on the Hail Ming Power Hour, uh, and both times it was shit both times this last time it was because it was a direct quote from phantasm 
And I just felt like if I'm directly quoting something, I should directly quote something. But I do kind of at, at first I was I was talking like that. And Rick was like, well, let's let's keep it. Let's keep it clean. And I was like, well, it, OK. And it does add something, I think, you know, it, it keeps me on my toes. But, yeah, I, I will keep in mind that I can drop as many F-bombs as I like. Drop as many F-bombs as you like. And uh, I know a lot – I've been noticing a lot of podcasters or podcast fans have spoken – mostly podcast fans have spoken out about not liking politics intermixed with their shows. And I get keeping it on topic. But since that's one of the three taglines <laughs> in this show, that is also fine. But we're not restricted. We don't have to make everything about this movie politics because it's a political movie, even if we don't talk about the politics of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's in the way that science fiction does things. It's uh, it's very heavy handed in its message. And I was looking up the trailers, both trailers I found, um, the theatrical trailer and the VHS trailer give away pretty much the whole movie. Yeah, it's a pretty simple concept. I think they leave out a lot of focus about the the scavengers, which we'll probably get to at some point. Yeah. Run by uh, Breon James or Brian James, the guy that was in um, Blade Runner, Striking Distance as the dickhead cop. Yeah, I just called him. Um, I just called him Leon uh, because that's that's who he was in Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that guy's the worst, man so much of a rotten person this is the first uh, i've i watched it about four times after you agreed to uh to do this i think this came out in 1985 so pretty much my entire life i used to watch this at least once a week until puberty 85 would be about right i mean it would have been nine i probably would have been eight i was born in december but uh, yeah i I mean december 20th I know I didn't see it in the theater, but, you know, when it finally made its way to cable, I probably watched it once a day or once a week. You know, they had it on heavy rotation at some point. And I, I agree with you. I, I watched it a ton. And watching it again as an adult, because I haven't seen it in years, mm-hmm. there were things in there. The very first thing I noticed was in the, the, the monologue that Dennis Quaid delivers at the beginning. He says, you know, that as humanity expands into the universe – they ran into this alien race, the Drax, that had squatters rights on several planets. And just the term squatters rights. As a kid, I'm sure I didn't even give it a second thought. But now, yeah, he's basically saying, yeah, these aliens lived on these planets you know, that had already been there. And since we are legally annexing them, they have to move. Yeah. It, it just makes it, it really casts a different light on humanity. That you really don't need the scavenger villains to <laughs> to, to to do I mean, the uh, the uh, expeditionary force is doing enough uh, villainous stuff just just by saying hey you know we've got this flag we planted it this is our planet now yeah uh, that sort of gets into it when they um, when they've gotten a little stir crazy after a while and they're having that uh, yelling fighting match on the ground blaming each other for starting the war. Yeah, during the meteor storm. Mm-hmm. Xerxes. Or jerk. Uh, is that? Zlurky? Zlurky? Zlarky? Yeah, Zlarky proof. Zlarky yeah, proof. Actually, anytime I think of any of you, mine, I think of that where he's banging on that 
that creature's shell, and he's going, Zlarky-proof! Zlarky-proof! And Louis Gossett Jr., man. Five hours of makeup every day, or four hours of makeup every day. And it looked great. I mean, he looked totally non-human. That, the makeup on his face and those little sacks that, that uh, the, those bladders that, that kind of inflate on the sides of his head. Yeah. And I mean, all that looked so good. And, and that's so long ago. And that's, you know, that's one of the things I've, I feel like I've heard you talk about this before, but, you know, good practical effects stand up no matter how old they are. Yeah. Yeah. And bad practical effects, to be sure, can really date something. But I mean, good practical effects, you look at them and you, he wasn't a, a CGI alien like you'd probably have today. You know, we had a stand in actor and then they CGI'd an alien. And in a way, it would look even more fantastical. But, I mean, this was an actor. And if you watch Lewis Gossett Jr. movies, he kind of acts and moves like that anyway. I mean, I hate to say that. I'm not saying anything bad about him, but he's kind of, he's got an over-swagger where, like, you know, he throws his head out real fast. And in Enemy Mine, it makes him look kind of like a reptilian alien because he's kind of looking at stuff with his lizard brain. But you, you watch him in, I just talked about the other the the uh, 1989 punisher you know and he still kind of has this spastic over aggressive tone whenever he's talking to somebody he kind of throws his face in their face and he kind of moves and i don't know how much of it was alien and how much of it was just was just lewis gossett jr it was probably a little bit of both wolfgang peterson seems to show the humanity of non-humans i think he did uh the never-ending story Oh, I can see that. Those are the two uh, films of his that I know the most. Well, they're both pretty effects heavy in the same kind of dreamy quality. You know, they're not effects heavy in a movie that's uh, overdone. You know, it's more like, well, here we have a, a big effect and here we have a soundstage and here we have a big effect and here we have a soundstage. You know, so he tries to intermingle kind of, like you said, interpersonal characteristics, you know, actors acting with uh, a story that's larger than life. So yeah, I can I can see those two things, those two movies really meshing well. I kind of thought I'd look into the history of, you know, maybe the music director and maybe the the director, but I I just focused on the movie. And you know, the music at first, I was, you know, like say up to the point where maybe up to the point where they build the shelter. The, the music is kind of spacey, like a lot of synthesizers. Mm-hmm. And I thought, maybe you know, this kind of dates it a little. You know, it kind of makes it seem like it's a little older, you know. But then at some point it just changes direction and the music becomes kind of symphonic, you know, as, as the characters become more emotionally attached. And it becomes less of a lizard man and human on, you know, a dangerous planet. And it becomes, you know, more of a more of a movie that tells the story of their relationship. That's a really good point. I never, and, I never thought about it. I may, I think I noticed the the shift in the music, but I never thought about why. Well, and yeah, really, like stuff like he comes back and and um, and Jerry tells him, you know, that he's he's with child. That whole scene, because man, because. Jerry is is acting almost like a like he's pregnant. You know, he's he's kind of warm and he's kind of like he's got a, a a smile on his face that won't go away, mm-hmm. and he's acting like extra emotional about things. Nesting, 
he's, yeah, it's it's so good because it's it seems awkward almost. And it is awkward for Dennis Quaid, who's like, wait a minute, wait, wait <laughs> just a second here. Don't it, look it, at yeah. me. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's just so good. The The relationship that's forged between the two of them is is bolstered by this unreal circumstance. You know, the fact that they that that Dennis Quaid ends up having to raise his child. It's just an incredibly good story. Like learning each other's language, singing Jeriba line. And for those of you out there who haven't seen Enemy Mine, I mean, the, the story is simple. It, the, the humankind is expanding out into the universe. They run into another alien that's doing the same thing. They, they're fighting over it, and, and one man and one of these aliens get stranded on a planet. And after trying to kill each other, they end up having to survive together. And through the trials that they go through, they just, that's the story. You know, they, they find that they have more in common than they have apart. I mean, it's, it's a gorgeous story. You know, the, the, and the, the creatures on that planet, I mean, what about that antlion that lives underground? What about that thing? I remember that used to scare the shit out of me when, uh, when I was little. It is so scary. I mean, we had antlions in my front yard and, you know, knowing what's underneath the ground, because it's it's pretty much the same thing except for the tentacle. You know, there's just this thing that lives underground, and if something falls into its pit, you know, the tentacle comes out and swats it with these hooks and drags it underground, and then it, you know, the primarily the thing that lives on this planet is these little creatures with a shell, and it'll chew them up and spit the shell out, yeah. and they end up running afoul of it twice in the movie, and, and both times it's just... It's just really horrifying. I was calling the the things with the shells turtle pillars. Was the best. I That's could pretty come good. With. Yeah, they're kind of like pill bugs that don't roll up. You know, they're, and they, I wouldn't call them cute, but they're <laughs> not. They're not really scary. You know, they they just kind of feel around. I don't know what they eat. Probably something <laughs> smaller. They might be. Um, they might eat the thing that gets used later as a football. Yeah, yeah, maybe some kind of coconut. They have the long snouts, though, so maybe, yeah, just smaller bugs. Two very different creatures to represent all of the animal life on that planet. And it very well could have been the only two main forms. Yeah, the place was pretty desolate. It was, you know, long expanses of craggy rocks and and loose dirt. And there were these trees that never seemed to have any foliage on them. So, yeah. It's good for falling down. Yeah, and they fall down. (laughs) <laughs> they all decide to fall down at once. It's the giant blizzard domino attack. Uh, yeah, I was watching that scene going, man, what what happened here? I, I guess it's the thing was, was crawling underground to get under the... So the, at the point later in the movie, the, the snow comes in and they're they're trapped in their fort. And the thing comes into their, their domicile looking for food because probably nothing's out in the snow. And when they manage to escape it, just every one of these big dead trees just falls down until one of them finally crushes their, their home. Man, it's... It's intense. The, the pace of it picked up, and it kind of reminded me of in Legend, where, you know, right after the unicorn's horn is cut off, spoiler alert, when everything gets all snowy and the goblins ride into town. It was just a very chaotic, kinetic... Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's... It's been a bad scene from beginning to end. Jerry getting attacked when he's so far ahead in his pregnancy. 
Yeah, everything about that. The whole, I mean, it's just everything goes wrong all at once. And for, for the for the storyline, you know, of course they they become friends at first. Uh, Willis Davich is his name. Willis Davich. Yes, sir. Yeah, Willis Davich, the 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 human. You know, at first he's he's to the point where he dumps all the fuel from uh, the Drax ship into the water and tries to set him on fire. You know, and they they end up fighting and the Drax gets the better of him and you know they they don't have a a friendship but they decide to just kind of coexist and then uh, this creature comes around and and tries to kill the human and and the drac comes and saves him and they still aren't really friends for a minute after that but but then Willis Davidge finally and and this is a point that I wanted to point out is the drac has this holy book that's on a necklace around his neck and he's always reading it and so Davidge says well, what are you always reading? He says, well, these are the words of Shambhad. Like they're, they're wise one, you know, they're, they're prophet. And yeah, he says, well, yeah. you know, I guess you have to read Drac it. I guess you have to read Drac to know it. Right. And he says, yeah. And he says, well, teach me Drac then. He says, these words aren't for you. He's like, those are not for humans. He's like, no, they're not for you because he had insulted Mickey Mouse and, you know, he didn't, they'd gotten into it where, you know, he said, well, Mickey Mouse said, try and try again. And he says, well, Shamba is an idiot. And he says, well, Mickey Mouse is a big dumbhead. And then they, they bond for a minute. He's like, I shouldn't have said that about Shamba. And, and the, the alien's like, and what I said about Mickey Mouse was out of line. Yeah. It, it's it's <laughs> silly, but but it shows how silly the, the differences between them are. Yeah, and, and then he when he says. laughs a little bit when he's walking away after he says. Yeah, Mickey yeah. Mouse is one he can't hold dip. it together. He can't hold it together. He's like, okay, Mickey Mouse, but I, and and so he teaches him how to read his language, and he teaches him the words of his prophet in both English and in Drac, and that's huge. First human, probably in that whole universe, to uh, get that sort of access. And you think I uh, to get political? You think today as much separation is between people on this planet over religion? And they were separated, and the thing that brought them together kind of was was the human. You know, the human didn't have a pocket Bible. You know, I was I was kind of thinking, I was wondering where he stood on religion. Was he an atheist? Was he without that kind of guidance? And that allowed him to be the blank slate to say, well, teach me about your religion. Because he just came to him and said, well, I want to learn your religion then. And, and that was the olive branch. It yeah. wasn't... I have a religion too. Let's compare the two. Or it wasn't, oh, your religion is dumb. No, it was, it was okay, fine. Teach me your language. I want to read your holy book. And that's just, it's just huge because it was the most important thing to drag culture. So being able to not scoff at it or say that it was wrong was really what forged the strongest bond between them because then he became master and pupil. Yeah, that's that's the that's the moment in the movie where I wrote down uh, this is where amends are officially made when he hands over the book. Yeah, yeah, he puts it around his neck and yeah, they become master and pupil, and you know, and that's not even the most momentous thing in their friendship. You know, they save each other's lives, and you know, the Jerry ends up having a child, and and he names him Zamis. You know, because there's a, a lineage thing, and he ends up raising his child. Yeah, because do they always die in childbirth? I didn't. No, because uh, initially uh, Jerry is 
uh, talking about how someday he's going to take Zamis to the right. front of the Drac Council on Dracone. I think it's called Dracone. I don't think it's... I don't, I don't think there's many G's in the Drac language, which I think mm-hmm. the Lou said is mostly Russian spoken backwards. Whoa, that's weird. But he said the language is mostly Russian spoken backwards and that... Uh, thing that he does yeah i guess when he was younger he used to for whatever reason talk while gargling spit and he thought that (laughs) it would add something so he did it i i you know because i was interested in knowing where the the outside shots were shot you know so much is done in new zealand now and there was so much out of volcanic crags and stuff it, I, I saw that it it began production in Budapest. With maybe the that was first director. Yeah, yeah, and then it what moved to Germany. Yeah, when they fired the first director and gave it to uh, Wolfgang, uh, he threw away all the footage the other guy shot and moved everything to Germany. So essentially, it's only had one director. That maybe the backward Russian thing came from its uh, its Eastern European. Mm root there or maybe it's part of the original uh the the original uh story i mean i i it was based on a short story and maybe there was there was stuff in there where they were speaking the drag language i imagine they fleshed that out though short stories are great for movies because you know a novel you can never get enough of it in whereas a short story you hit you can build on it I, I never got around to reading the short story i know it uh it first it was first in that uh science fiction magazine run by isaac Asimov. Nice. And uh, won the 1980 Hugo Award for Best Novella. You got a short story going on. You got enough of a building block, enough of a foundation to really build a great movie out of. And they, they, they did it. Like you said, there's the fight between them initially and there's the scary, dangerous creatures on the planet. And I kind of, I, I kind of, as a kid, I kind of thought that that antlion thing that came into their shelter was the same one that he shot you know years ago when you know he was saving davich from it but that was just a i think that was just a kid and me thinking it was coming for revenge or something watching it this time i was like well you know would it have grown back that tentacle thing because it appears it only has one yeah and that thing got pretty blasted it could just be like i said you know it's 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 the winter time so nothing's out and around so it's hunting for food wherever it can find it and it's really scary to think that that thing can come up anywhere it wants to mm-hmm. it's like tremors or something yeah it is a lot like tremors with the little like faces on the end of their tongues now tremors is not quite as poignant a film <laughs> uh no <laughs> I, I think there might even be another one coming out or a television show being developed as we speak. Hey, you know, people are hungry for some kind of material to build on. And if the Tremors series can 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 latch onto that, I'm sure that Michael Gross is all about it. <laughs> I mean, uh, and he they might even... Bert? Oh, go ahead. Was he Bert? Bert, yeah. And he's been like the common thread, right? I mean, they're not going to get Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon to come back. No, I, I mean, maybe they'll shoot it in between uh, whatever Kevin Bacon's doing right now. What is Kevin Bacon doing right now? I mean, he's got to be busy. Was he on, uh, I think he he had a show. No, he was. He was on a Fox show about a guy who 
used Edgar Allan Poe stories and had like a what was it? It was yeah, there was a cult. It might have even been called the cult, and he was the FBI agent who was trying to track this guy down. I watched the first episode of it and was not engaged, but it's getting harder and harder to get my brain to 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 want the next thing anymore. What was it called? It was called the. Was that the following? Is that the following? Is that it? I never saw it, but yeah, that that's it. And Kevin Bacon is kind of the only agent that can really hold, keep up with this guy. And the guy's kind of a kind of like a Sutter Kane kind of. He's got a, a following of people that'll do his bidding, and and he's trying to. He, he's in prison at the beginning or something, and 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 he's got all these connected crimes that Kevin Bacon's trying to like beat him to the next one. And it's it's not a, it's not a story that isn't told often, but it tends to grab people. Uh, and you know I like Kevin Bacon. I I just didn't know he was up to anything, and I, I do think it got renewed maybe for FX or something because they didn't renew it on Fox. Something like that. I'm not going to look too deep into it. I didn't like it before. <laughs> Probably won't like it now. Yeah, it'll come back as a, a Netflix original like they like to do. When... Yeah, a couple of years later, you just reel in that viewership and, and people will keep their uh, subscription to Netflix. Yeah, I, I was saying that the other day, um, talking with Duncan from Podcasts Under the Stairs. or The Podcasts Under the Stairs. Under the Stairs. That, that guy is so much fun. He is. He's so nice. <laughs> he, he really is. Cool dude. Um, but every time I start planning to cancel my Netflix, they come out with Stranger Things or something like that. The, the fact that I've got two kids that are 9 and 12, it's worth having Netflix just because they carry some of the shows they want to watch. There's so many shows for kids now, too. Well, part of the reason I know Enemy Mine is because when I was their age, I was watching Enemy Mine, and now there's like there's there's like 32 shows just for kids on at any moment of the day or night. You know, they they'll never get to the point where they know a real storyline movie. Like I try to make them watch these things, but they're, they're just so used to these things being spoon fed to them. It's like, oh well, here's something for 12 year olds. Here's something for nine year olds. Here's something for kids. There's so many shows out there that are specifically designed to keep the attention of different ages. It's a hard sell to make them sit down and watch Enemy Mine or uh, the original Star Wars trilogy or you know anything that's 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 got an ongoing plot that's interesting. I lucked but out. Gonna, so oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I'll keep trying though. Mine's still young enough. I just have the one, and he's about ready to turn two. So uh, the movies that he makes me watch over and over again lately have been. Coraline, uh, oh, Coraline, Elf, and uh, Big Trouble in Little China, <laughs> which he calls Truck. He calls Truck. Well, yeah, yeah. Soon I'll I'll teach him how to say Pork Chop Express. But it's the right. story. If you think about it, I, I'm pretty sure that that truck is the plot of at least 75 percent of that movie. If they they get the truck back at the end too, like, yeah, I think it might be the story of the stealing of a truck. Uh, my wife one time asked John Carpenter at a at a horror hound. Say what? About uh, yeah, it was so cool. He was doing a Q and A, <laughs> and I'm always nervous to talk to people at those things. You know, I said hi to Tony Todd, and he's scary, man. He's scary. He's so big. <laughs> he's he, like, did he shake your hand? Yeah. Did he and... shake your hand because you feel like a baby because his hand <laughs> is so freaking huge? Yeah, he was gentle. He was gentle when he shook my hand. 
That's good. He he said like I I I wanted him to sign a thing, but it was a Candyman picture, and I asked him to sign a line from uh, Wishmaster because <laughs> I was like, hey, say uh, remember that name when they ask you how you lost that eye? And he was like, from this movie, and I was like, oh, it's it's not from this movie. <laughs> and he was like, oh okay, and he just signed it. But like for a minute, he seemed really mad. I mean, I love Tony Todd. He's got some crooked teeth, and he's a scary dude. I was just the truth. That's the truth, Ruth, as they say, and do the right thing. But your wife asked a question of John Carpenter. I'm sorry, I took oh, us on a tangent. No, that, uh, this show is partially about tangents. Um, it saves me from making an outline. <laughs> she was talking to him about, she's really into Westerns and uh, John Carpenter stuff. So she was just asking him about his Western influence with Big Trouble in Little China, because I think he had said somewhere... That he wanted to make a western, and then he ended up making that. Yeah, I think it was originally going to be a western. And you see that throughout the movie. And sure, it, it, that's just it, what made me think of it was that it could have been about John Wayne trying to get his horse back. Yeah, I, absolutely. It, it would have been an interesting western for sure. I, I wonder what would have changed because they could still, I guess, have had a Chinatown type situation. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, that's, it, it would be an interesting story if John Carpenter did, did he answer? Yeah. He, he just, he said, um, that he tried to make it as much like a Western as he could, but had fun with throwing it in something that used to be the West just had fun with that. I'm, I'm thinking of egg Shen. What is it? He says, he says, Chinaman with gold rush fever sent home for the women and children and make San Francisco Chinatown that you see outside your window this warm, fine day. I love it. I, the, I was, the other day, or last night, I was, I was quoting lines from Ghostbusters because my, my, uh, we had a daddy-daughter dance at my daughter's, uh, my daughter's school. Oh, cool. And I'll make the story short. You know, we were there, and she didn't want to dance because she's nine, and <laughs> kids are just running around stealing balloons is really all that was going on. Um, and, and I, I was like, well, I could dance like, uh, like Lewis Tully from, uh, from Ghostbusters and be like, well, maybe if we start dancing, <laughs> other people will start dancing. And if we start talking about that lady and my mom's like, you really do know that movie from end to end. I was like, if you started it, I could, I could do every line, but, but I probably am not to the point where I could just recite the movie by memory. But as soon as it started, I could, I could go. I can do that with the original Star Wars, too. It's just, you know, seeing them that many times in a row when I was a kid. And it's probably taking up really valuable space in my brain. But well, I can't do it anymore, so I can't let go of it. Because it won't be replaced by anything now. I'm not making new memories. It, it brings me joy, at least. Yeah, it brings you if joy. If I could find a way to make money doing you. this. Entertainment. And to bring it back to politics, we need that now. We need some entertainment. Ooh. Just, just a little bit. Learn a lesson from Davich and the Drax, you know, could be any sort of indigenous peoples or since he's got an interesting book and he's always praying. And yeah. It could have a lot to do with the uh, non-Muslim ban, Muslim ban that Trumpy Dumpty is trying to push through. Yeah, and it's there, there's so much that can be said about that. I mean, just... Admittedly, it was the seven countries that had been previously determined to be um, threats by a, a former uh, administration. 
but the way it was gone about is very obvious in its effect. And and I'll just say that politically, it's an attempt to make sure that when it comes re-election time, he can say, look, in the first week, I tried to do all this, and then I was shut down by the powers that be. That's why you hired me as an outsider, and that's what I'm trying to get done. Um, and that is, you know, I will I will credit the man for proving the problem with the electoral college system and yeah. why it probably needs to be done away with. I, I'm not a political scientist, but I do think that it's an antiquated system. And maybe um, after November of 2018, there can be a, a landslide the other direction and they can say, let's do away with the electoral college system and then three million votes will count. I think all these things that I'm saying right now are neutral. They're not opinions of mine. I, I know why he, he's doing this. I know the strategy that he's he's uh, enacting. Um, and I know the the base that he's trying to keep. And I think that in order to make a real change, we have to find a way to, to reach a compromise. I mean, there, there there is still a large, I mean, if 20% of the population voted and roughly 10% of that population agrees with the rhetoric that he has and is okay with his activities, then we need to find a way to reach out to them and find out you know, what we're thinking about wrong and, and try and kind of come to a common ground. Because I just don't understand. I have a hard time fathoming the the opinions of people that, that can that can tolerate the kind of antics that he is performing. Since he said yes and no to every question, depending on when you asked him, you can pick and choose what you want to believe about him. Well, no, he... He promised he was going to do this. He promised he wasn't going to do this. I think gradually that's why, you know, some of his support is peeling off because he hasn't gotten to everybody yet. But, you know, there were a lot of people that when he was a champion of the of the gay people or whatever he said, how, you know, he probably said the gays the way he talks. Um, Sure. Well, he's a straight shooter, right? Boom. Straight shooting. Straight shooting. And then after he gets the uh, the Religious Protection Act that lets people do that, that's going to let some people see that that was some bullshit. I don't, like it's a bag of worms. It's a can of worms that you know. I I'm not trying to derail anything. I I agree with you. I think that he's going to lose, but I think the base. It's kind of like he said in the middle of his campaign. He could shoot somebody in the middle of uh, of, of Main Street and. And yeah. he would still have those supporters. I do think that there are still those diehards who see him as a champion of the regular man. Yeah. He's not. A, <laughs> if if any one of us could be a successful businessman if we started playing Monopoly with two-thirds of the board to begin with. And that's what happened with him. He, he was born into a situation where it didn't matter how many times he failed, he was going to still be rich and money talks. I mean, but... The reality is people know that money talks and more people are getting disenfranchised by that. And they're saying, well, at least if we have a rich person in charge, he'll find out a way to make money for America. You know, it's kind of like he's going to draw together a bank full of money and that will allow America as a whole, including all of its citizens, to be rich. I don't think that it's a very realistic view. But, you know, you look at globalization and that's pretty scary to a lot of people, too. They, they don't see where they fit in a globalization scheme you know they they think they'll be um, obsoleted or they think they'll be forced to accept values that aren't theirs and maybe they could all be a little more like willis davidge and say well you know teach me how to read your language teach me how to understand your profit and then say this is a lot like my profit yeah mickey mouse and uh 
oh God, what was the name of his prophet? His name, his prophet was like Shabi. Yeah. Uh, you know, Shizma. 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 That's it. And Mickey Mouse, they and, have a lot in common. And and see, see, here we have it. You know, there there are a lot of people out there that are scared to to reach out to the Drax. You know, they 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 just see them as as a stumbling block, and it's easier to turn a blind eye to what you might be doing. You know that those they were already there, or that there are other cultures out there that also have a right to some resources, and just say, well, you know. But if I turn a blind eye to that and we just keep fighting, maybe we'll win, and then I won't have to worry about incorporating anyone else's beliefs to my life. Yeah, if everybody adapts to me, it's easier for me. Right. And so you know, I think that that. In the way that this movie is trying to, to bring about this philosophy, it manages to try and, and kind of creates a tertiary element in the scavengers that, that aren't really, the, they're not the humans from the Federation that Davich was fighting with. They're kind of a third group of, of unsavories who go from planet to planet and steal all the, you know, the useful ore and use Drax as slave labor, probably because they're, they're super tough or whatever. So they can kind of create this third party and not have to go all the way to calling humanity the problem. I think in one of the um, narrations, Davich says something about, we always let it slide because they use Drax for slave labor. Yeah, and, and there you go. It's, it's that turning the blind eye because, yeah, they're doing stuff you don't like and they're doing something horrible to somebody, but, but they're doing something horrible to the Drax. And we hate the Drax. So, you know. The enemy yeah, of just my enemy. It. Right. So for anyone out there who hasn't seen Enemy of Mine and isn't rushing out to get it right now, because, you know, you should. I mean, it's 10 bucks on, on uh, Amazon, and, and, you know, then you can own it on some weird streaming digital thing that may go black someday. That always scares me. I ended up buying this, the DVD of this, because it's not on Blu-ray. And, you know, it still looks really good, though. It does. You know, we, um, we were going to do Time After Time. I, I even brought it up and I was like, yeah, we can do time after time. And I got a copy of it. You know, I bought it off Amazon because it's instantaneous that way. And it's just, it's a movie about someone from the past coming to the future. But the future that he comes to is now the past, like 1979 past. So, so it kind of lost it, like, but also the quality of it, the quality of the, vis- the visuals, you know, it, it was just kind of washed out. And I don't realize how much I pay attention to the quality of, of cinematics now, but watching that, it was really hard. And I love that movie. You, you know, 1979, Time After Time, has got uh, Malcolm McDowell as H.G. Uh, Wells. H.G. Wells, yeah. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love it, but, but like, it was hard to watch. I, I can totally see that. I think the last time I saw that was before I switched over TV technology. It wasn't yeah. uh, Mary Steenburgen. Uh, uh, Steenburgen. Steve Burgeon, Steve, Steve Burgeon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She was in what? The, uh, Back to the Future Part Three. Another time travel movie. Yes. What? She just yeah. travels around doing time travel. Yeah. She's great in that, too. And David Warner, of course, who is a quintessential British villain guy. Plays Jack the Ripper. I mean, he's played evil in Time Bandits and Jack the Ripper in this. I mean, I don't know how much more evil you can get in your career, but I'm sure he tried. Yeah. And they're both villains you kind of like. Oh man, he's so great as evil. That's that's another movie. I think this my my dad used to tape everything off TV in the 
the free trials of HBO that they used to do and <laughs> all that. So I think yeah. Enemy Mine was on a tape with Time Bandits and Batteries Not Included. Wow. What a great tape. Yeah. It would just pop it on and just hit play and you got three and a half hours of your life just well spent. Batteries Not Included is kind of more depressing than I remember it as a child. Yeah. You can sort of not really pay attention to the <laughs> the rich guy trying to force everybody out of their houses. And it's just about the alien robots. Uh, again, if you bring up politics of the day, you know, if, if you just take the end out where their little diner building was, was stuck in between the two huge sky rises because they could never get that. And you just knock down that diner and make it all a big, huge sky rise building. That's pretty much the political climate you got now. And just just look at how uh, how Donald Trump has used um, eminent domain in the past to get whatever he wants. You know, and it, it's weird because you know you, you grow up watching these movies, and that's kind of the moral of the story: is no matter how much money you have, if there's heart, you know, then then you can kind of beat these these rich tycoons. And and it kind of threw me for a loop when uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, but again, yeah, it's pretty political. I mean, but. We're talking about batteries not included and enemy of mine. And the underlying politics are those of inclusion and uh, and those of, of respecting the rights of the little guy. You said that uh, you, you've got two kids and your oldest is 12. How long has it been? This is the first time I've seen enemy mine since I've had a kid. Yeah. I, I was curious if it was similar situation for you. Oh, man, I don't know when the last time I saw enemy mine was like. I think of it often and I know it really well, but I don't think I've watched it since, since I was in my twenties. I mean, and I'm 42, so it's been easily 15 years or more since I've seen this movie. I haven't seen it since my kids were born. I think I still have that new dad thing where I haven't completely desensitized myself again to things that happen to kids in movies. Yeah. Uh, Last time I watched Pet Cemetery was kind of rough. I, I was matter. really noticing all the, the stuff with Zamis and Davich and the real bonding and, you know, familial, if that's a word, family-like. Yeah, yeah, it's family. Familial is a word. Tenderness and teaching about difference and equality in the same breath and how crazy Davich seems to go. Like I did not even register i think even the first time that i re-watched this that he shot a hole in the spaceship to get out yeah when he went to go save his kid that's true i was like i and i i mean i guess they could probably you know close off that section of the spaceship but jesus he's he is not kidding no it's what's important at the moment and what's important is not escape what's important is saving zombies and yeah, I mean, so so you look at this movie, I, I guess if you want to call it the heavy-handed message of it, you know, the two of them are stranded together. De- Davich allows himself to understand the alien as, as another being and even embrace his philosophical, you know, his, his theological method. And, and then, you know, they end up having a child that is their responsibility. They don't have a child together necessarily. He would have, you know... Uh, Jerry would have had it regardless, you know, but, but then he raises his child. I mean, if you needed a a better encapsulation of the uh, walking a mile in someone else's shoes, you know, or going through 
the right kind of experiences to make you understand someone. It's all right there. And, you know, they go from enemies to friends to something more. Davich ends up on their planet, you know, singing the, the becoming part of the song of their lineage. Because isn't that what he says at the end is that is that in the song of their lineage, Willis Davich is added. Yep. When when zombies ended up bringing his kid. The Jariba line. I wonder. I wonder how how that went from there. You know, like, was he just outcast as a human that was kind of like dances with wolves? Like, you know, he lost another one to the natives or whatever. Or, or did he actually go back and say, you know, look, we, we can't keep doing this to the Drax. If he did, I'm sure he'd be snowed under. I assumed this last time around that he stayed and was Uncle Grandpa to you know, zombies and his family or something like that. But I, I think if he did decide to go back, yeah, he would have been a excited. A I, I thought you were going for, he would have been a pariah, you know, oh. like because of his beliefs on the Drax, but you were saying the opposite. He would have been a, an advocate for peace. He would have been, but that wouldn't have necessarily kept him from being a pariah in a very warlike society. He probably stayed. Because they already thought he was a spy when they found him, and he was speaking Drac in his unconscious state. And then they said, we think he's been a spy, or working for the other side, um, for three years. That's how long he was gone, from crash to rescue. If they thought he was a spy, and then he blew up the ship, and then he went to Drac, Drac Planet... And then came back. They, I mean, they probably shot him out into space, like those uh, those wreaths that they threw out there every time they did a funeral on the spaceship. Well, and I, I guess as a kid, I never wondered, you know, where this story went on from here, because the the point got home. But you know, what happens from here? Does the does the war eventually end? Do do good people like Davich, you know, eventually say, well, let's let's reach out to them, or do they say? You know, we really need all these planets to expand our empire, so let's keep him as a faceless enemy. Maybe, because his uh, his old flight crew, when they ended up going to the planet, either looking for him or looking to help or whatever, they didn't kill the Drax that they encountered, and they ultimately let him leave in the spaceship. So that's it, three more people. I, the optimist in me is still not not dead. I'd like to think that those three people sort of did a pay-it-forward sort of thing. And uh, if it didn't stop the war, it maybe would have scaled back the expansion and the violence. It's hard, it's hard to say. But, you know, like, like you were saying, um, when you're a kid, you don't think about that. Yeah. The movie I is mean, the movie. And, and actually, that's the better way to handle it. I, I guess, you know, it, it's a... It's, not to get too deep, but the purpose of drama is to make us think. And, you know, if the purpose of this is to make you think about equality and, you know, how you may or may not be perceiving someone different than you, then it got its point across to me as a kid. And I didn't think how cool the scavengers were because they were, you know, in charge and they were making lots of money. And they were stealing. what I thought was how villainous they were because they were driving these slaves. By the time the movie was over. I didn't think how cool it would be to have a war with reptilian aliens that I could go kill. I thought about how how great it was that the two of them became friends. 
and how you can become friends with people that you might start out with differences, you know? So, I mean, in that way, it's a great movie. It, it, and, and, um, for all the thrill seekers in there, it also has, like you said, great pacing. It doesn't slow down for a minute. Even the emotional scenes are still kind of like, okay, and then this happens. And then years later, this happens. And then years later, this happens. It, It keeps you watching. It doesn't, you know, beleaguer the point. Sorry, there's a airplane flying up above my head if you hear a weird sound. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> you live close to the airport? Actually, no. It takes about 20 minutes to get to the airport. I'm probably 30 minutes away from the airport, the, the main airport here in Nashville. Yeah, I've, I've been in Nashville a, a few times. Uh, the last full-length album that my uh, band put out, we ended oh. up going down to master that in Nashville. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I, there, there's a lot of those little studios that, that do pretty good work. Just in general, Nashville's gotten pretty huge. Yeah, it's it's a fun fun city. I almost called it a town, but well, that's the thing about it is that it's not a it's not a downtown area that's so big that it's going to thwart you. You know, you you can walk across it in an hour if you want to. The urban sprawl, kind of like Phoenix, is the problem. One time we had sort of a tour guide, one of the bands that we did a show with took us around i think was it some famous woman from back in the day (laughs) marilyn monroe maybe or jane mansfield has a elementary school named after her around there somewhere i may have wasted even more of your time on that because after we've been talking about it i'm pretty sure the person that showed us around nashville (laughs) showed us the elementary school where Betty Page went. That's the new thing that's in my mind. I, I have not ingested any drugs today, I promise. I just have a bad memory sometimes. I'm thinking that maybe your tour guide ingested some drugs because I, I don't. And over there is where a <laughs> this, young. This is where John Waters chopped down a cherry tree. <laughs> that's right. John Waters. That's awesome. Yeah, we I don't think play... he's ever been to Nashville. Yeah, I guess he does try to stick to Baltimore, doesn't he? Yeah, he's and he gets all of his actors and stuff from there. He's he's a uh, he's very big on on uh, making sure that all of his endeavors supply work to the people where he came from. And you you think that that might be hokey, but you know John Waters is just a big a big sap. He really is. Like he he might you might think of him as a hardcore filmmaker because of his movies, but really he's just a big sentimentalist. I I had a uh, book of short stories of his. And one of them was called, uh, well, they were two back to back. There was Puff Piece, 101 Things I Love, and Hatchet Piece, 101 Things I Hate. And it would just have little parenthetical numbers next to things as he went through his day. You know, like, and a woman in a tube top, four, was getting into her Lee car, five, you know. They were were really entertaining little short stories. I I like John Waters. He knows how to entertain. I don't like all his movies, (laughs) but I don't have to not all his movies are for everybody and i'm sure most of my favorite ones are the ones more people see most often pecker yeah, I'd, I'd rather i liked pecker yeah pecker was fun i like uh crybaby a lot more than i like in bad taste it doesn't mean there isn't room in the world for both exactly crybaby's probably the one i've seen the most my uh my big sister used to watch it all the time because oh it's so much fun that was my entry to the john waters john waters world John Waters world. <laughs> I just got an idea of like a, a parody of, of like water world made by John Waters. 
<laughs> that would be so much better, maybe. Maybe. I, I don't really know the the, uh, the the bomb all that well. I remember Dennis Hopper in it. He probably would be in it, be in it if uh, John Waters did it, too. But he was one of those people that you heard died every other year. Yeah. He was a little older, and he had done a lot of really physically altering drugs. So You don't come out of Easy Rider the same person. You don't come out of the Super Mario Brothers movie the same person. No, I don't. I don't think anybody who went and watched it came out of that the same. <laughs> it's, it's, it was yet another example of, of, of movies based on popular video games where you think the filmmaker probably never saw the video game. What was the other one I was, I was thinking of from, uh, like, you know, Mortal Kombat at least had, like, a Mortal Kombat tournament in it. But there was a Double Dragon movie. It had Mark Dacascos in it. Um, and and who's the, uh, Scott Wolf or somebody, like... And um and Robert Patrick was the bad guy in the Double Dragon movie, and Robert Patrick who played the T two thousand. Uh huh. Like he he kind of got out of shape, and then he was just doing movies like it, you could tell people would slide him a script and be like, "Hey, we'll pay you," and he would just take it. <laughs> and I think that's where Double Dragon came from. It was awful. I can't believe I came up with Scott Wolf either. Like I don't even know what he's from. He's from one of those like. Like Gilmore Girls or something, right? He was on a show like that. Five. Nice. I remember he was on an episode of Saturday Night Live that was pretty funny. I I used to love me some Double Dragon on my Sega. I used to have to play it in the in the uh, the arcade. I don't think I ever got past like the second level. So you think about how much money you pumped into that thing, never to even get anywhere near the end. The last boss always killed me and my friends. It's... Well, he had a machine gun, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard so like many. You get times. all the way to the end, and nobody's got a gun ever. Then the bad guy at the end is like, "Oh, by the way, I've got a gun." Screw you guys. Well, then you got to fight, and then Spike and Hammer fight each other at the end, which is it, it's so off-putting. It's like, well, you fought side by side, but I guess you know only one guy can have the girlfriend. So, so let's settle this, like guys named Spike and Hammer. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. In a world gone mad. As you know, the doomsday clock is a symbolic clock face analogizing humankind's proximity to extinction. One man must fight to survive on the global junkie of the future. You maniacs! You blow it up! Damn you! God damn you all to hell! Which versus the Doomsday Clock is that man's story? His search for entertainment is transmitted across time and space for your listening pleasure on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and your Android device. This podcast is not fit for human consumption. Side effects include laughter, concern, nausea, vomiting, and burning for more purposes. The producers accept no responsibility for any side effects, illness, or event range of mind cause. My event guarantee is worth nothing. Zero, 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 uh, overall, not a sausage. In short, you get nothing. Nothing. Good day, sir. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet... Earth. How peaceful it looks. 
Most effective, your majesty. Will you destroy this earth? Destroy it utterly. Send Rick and Danny in wool rocket Ajax. So, just destroy it? That's what Ming said. Don't you ever listen? Well, there's no arguing with Ming. Hail, Hail Ming. Ming. Wait! You see those transmissions on the visual screen? Crow? Nightmare on Elm Street? Chud too? Black Belt Jones? Nightbreed? <laughs> What's a critter? Oh, I've seen those things. Flash? I guess we could wait a while before the destruction. Yeah, and watch the movies. And talk about them. The Helming Power Hour. Disobedience to Ming. For now. You can find us at Legion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. At www. You know what? Just Google it for yourself. Just Google it, you bastages. Helming. Breaking two? Electric Boogaloo? Samurai Cop? Army of Darkness? Flash Dance? <laughs> <laughs> we might destroy the planet if it's Flash Dance. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. But, uh, <laughs> um, that ranged all over. Did, did you see that Netflix is... Uh, Netflix is about to do a animated series based on Castlevania. I did see that they're looking at a lot. Uh, there's talk about Golden Axe. Golden Axe. Black Adder killed his father. Why is she in this? Black Adder killed her mother. Why is the dwarf in it? Black Adder killed his father and mother. <laughs> <laughs> Black Adder just saw. Oh, where does your family live? I'm going to go kill your mom. Come find me. Well, and, you know, I, I get the. Th- yeah, they're they're trying to kind of take the story of a video game and kind of force it into the template, but you can't really force some of these things into that template, and people are going to notice when you try to. This isn't what I used to play. That's what killed the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know what killed that, but <laughs> <laughs> for sure, Dennis Hopper predicting the rise of Mike Pence, oh. even the same haircut, pretty much. Yeah, I saw that that picture. I, I figured that that was going to go around a, a lot more than the uh, Trump and Pence are uh, Scott, Scott Farkas and Grover Gill. Scott Farkas. His lips drew over his green teeth. Green teeth. So help me, he had green teeth. I, I have not watched that movie. Even though it comes on every every holiday season now, is is filled up with other things. So I haven't watched it in a long time. I took I took a break from it because um, my dad used to play the twenty four hour marathon, right? Every year, <laughs> but it sort of worked its way back in when we're watching movies around the toddler. I, I definitely let him watch stuff that he maybe shouldn't see, but we kind of let him decide if it's scary. I don't want child protective services to come after me, but he watched um, Return of the Living Dead with me on July third. A Return of the right. Living Dead Day. And he got really into the soundtrack. And he liked the the guy with a mohawk like Daddy. Yeah. And he was he was cool. He wasn't really scared by it. Uh he's he 
he doesn't like when women scream too much. So for that and many other reasons, it's he's going to be a regular age when he watches a slasher. But he's pretty okay with Return of the Living Dead, and he loves Krull and Ray Harryhausen movies. Yeah, who doesn't love Krull? I mean, I think if you but, don't like Krull, you haven't watched it enough. It's aged. It's aged. I mean, that doesn't mean it's bad. All right, do we need to come back and wrap up? All this might make it onto the show, but but I, I think we've we've ranged far and wide from that. I think a decent amount of it'll stay in. Um, yeah, we can <laughs> we can loop back around. It went fast at a good pace, like Enemy Mine. Um, yes, I'm not surprised when I think about it, but it did not do well in uh, the box office. It cost forty million dollars to make in 1980s money. Do you want That's to guess a, how much it made? How how much? I'm not going to guess. Just... The number I found was 703 theaters, $1.6 million. Oh, man. Uh, so much so that somebody at uh, Fox that put the movie out was asked about how much longer it was going to take to make their money back. And he just said, it doesn't really matter. Because it's not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, at, at that kind of a loss, like the people who made the movie will be dead before. You know, they, uh, <laughs> that's sad. I mean, I guess maybe there just wasn't an audience for a a, a, a poignant social commentary sci-fi movie at the time, and maybe there still isn't now. I think if you watch it, you know, then then you'll realize just the the. The fact that it's all really well done, the, the acting is fantastic, and the the effects are are awesome, and the story is great. It's just a it's a one two three punch that's gonna that's gonna make you realize that for 1985, it's a movie that could be made today, and it wouldn't really need that much to make it just as good. I don't I don't know who uh, who would be good representatives to take over the respective roles. Yeah, yeah, I, I you mean have because them both do it and just be older. Yeah, both those actors are still at it, you know. But the, I think the problem with it bombing probably is it just never had, you know, is that audience there today? Is there an audience that wants to go see a social commentary sci-fi movie like this? It's got some action and it's got some adventure. But when you get down to the bottom, it's really a, a story about loving thy enemy. And is that, you know, a cell that people want to go to the movies to see? This might be a good uh, era for that, since it seems like a lot more people are at least vocal about that idea. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of I, I hadn't thought about the indigenous peoples thing. I mean, Jerry says his name is Jerry. Anyway, the, the, the alien, the Drac says that Jerry Sheba they explore the universe too, you know, so they, they are from somewhere else, you know, so it's kind of hurtling out into space, uh, trying to claim things for your race and encountering another race doing the same thing. So, I mean, it isn't really even an indigenous people thing. It isn't, um, avatar that that's thrown in your face, but it's, it's really kind of when you encounter someone else who's on a similar trajectory, do you join forces or do you lock horns? Yeah. And, it sort of shows the outcome of both choices in the movie. When everything's gone except for survival, you know, you don't have to worry about whether humans are better than tracks, just whether you're 
powerful enough to survive. You know, it reminds me of that uh, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. You know, where where the 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 one when the walls fell. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen it come up a couple of times where somebody just took a picture from it. But I will nutshell it that the episode is uh, about Picard meeting an alien that they've never met before on a planet. And the terms of them having negotiations are they they beam down on the planet and they meet their person. And they end up fighting this monster that's down there. And then, you know, it, the, the, the moral of the story in a very Gene Roddenberry way is the aliens didn't communicate like we did. They communicated all in metaphors. So all of their language is based on you know historical events and what that portended and so the ordeal that they went through fighting the monster was orchestrated so that as a diplomatic venture they would fight something together and understand each other and that's a lot of what happened here yeah they came in because they were fighting each other but then the real lesson learned was when everything falls away when your culture falls away and when your agendas fall away and when your buddies clapping you on the back because you just blew up a ship falls away. What's important is that he saved your life and you saved his life. And there's really no need for you guys to fight over the same things. You know, if you can share very well said, man. Yeah. It, but it's hard to live that way. <laughs> I mean, it's easy yeah. to, to say that, but it's hard to live that way. Even when you want to, you know, I'm not going to say that I do every day, you know, I don't go next door and, give them tacos or something here here's some tacos i made them i just i thought i'd share just what are you up to man because i want those doors to stay closed i don't have anything against my neighbors but you know i don't have time for them either and maybe that's bad maybe in order to get world peace here we need to import some of those scary antline things and then we'd all have to fight them together that's a bad idea maybe that's that's what the the pokemon uh thing was uh test ground for (laughs) oh no Gotta catch them all before they catch you. And eat you like the turtle pillars. Like the turtle pillars. Those poor things. All they're good for is materials and food. I mean, he was even trying to kill one. Like, there were coconuts, but he was still trying to shoot one of those turtle pillars. Yeah, you got a taste taste for uh, animal life after Jerry made him eat the biggest slug in the world. Oh my goodness, that is... That is... <laughs> It's so gross. He's like, you want some food here? And it wasn't what he was eating either. No. He was, <laughs> it was eating jello. Else. It's like, I'm eating these little nasty eggs. Here, I'll give you this. Uh... I mean, he just spears it too. Like, I don't know if it was living over there. We don't see another one of those in the movie. But yeah. man, that thing was gross. Maybe it's one of the egg things after it hatches. Ooh, maybe. That... It's like a mealworm. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely okay. Fine, asshole. Yeah, because... He's not being real nice about it either. He's like, I'm hungry. Food. Give me food. It's not the way. You're stupid. You don't understand what I'm saying. (laughs) Right. Don't you get English? Speaking to English. Yeah. Uh, uh, He starts out as an angry redneck. And, you know, in the end, before he gets his hair cut, he really is a a long-haired, bearded-having, everybody-loving, hippie-looking person. Yeah. Full transformation. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the, the harsh desert planet brings him to realize the, the usefulness of love. And I, I think also one thing I noticed when he's reading the, uh, when he's reading the religious book of the Drax and Jerry tells him to translate, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a love thy brother. It's a turn the other cheek. 
parable stanza, or something? You know, well, he, uh, it, it basically is, you know, when someone comes to you with anger, you know, you you turn to them with love and hope that your love will change, you know, their their view. I mean, that's that's the parable that they're talking about. That's the, the little story. And it's a, you know, it's a turn the other cheek. You know, when someone you know, hits you, you, you turn the other cheek and you, you try and show them that that's not the way. And, you know, it, again, it's heavy handed sci-fi storytelling there where it's like, you know, oh, look, in this book, it's talking about, you know, how love will conquer all. If you, if you didn't get it through the rest of the movie, we're saying it right now. We're saying <laughs> it's a universal idea. Truth is truth, I think is what yeah. Jerry said. You're you're right, you're right. And then he says, you know, oh we, we have a book that says that too. And he's like, I'm not, not surprised. You know, he doesn't he doesn't say, Well, my book is better. He says, I'm not surprised because this is true. It's like that episode of South Park where, you know, the the only word for God is Marklar. Yeah. It's like some people's Marklar is different than other people's Marklar. But the Marklar of the Marklar is the same Marklar. So it's a it's a good message and a fun movie. And I would just go watch it again. Since I bought it, I've got it. And actually, I said to my family last night, I was like, I've got to watch Enemy of Mine. And my son was like, I'll watch it with you. And, uh, you know, then he had to go to bed or whatever. But uh, I think that I will watch it with him because it's a, it's a good movie. And I, I want him to be able to enjoy it. And, you know, I also wanted to watch it myself, too, and just kind of see well, is it going to be something where like, cause, cause we started watching Krull the other day and he was like, those special effects are terrible. Like when they're taking the fire out of the thing, I'm like, well, you know, come on, you know, but, but I get it. You know, it, it doesn't, it isn't as polished as all the stuff now. And it's, Krull's a little weird too. This, it, it's kind of like trying to watch Terry Gilliam with kids. There's a lot of really uncomfortable noises, you know, you know and people who are all dirty and it's like, what's going on here? Well, it's a Terry Gilliam film. You just kind of have to understand that whether he's doing 12 Monkeys or whether he's doing The Fisher King, there's going to be the same kind of dirty people. Like, I don't know how he manages it. But the, Terry Gilliam films are unique. Nobody makes movies like he does. No, and it's funny that you brought him up specifically. He was one of the directors offered this movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. He turned it down to work on Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. David Lynch don't, was I also don't. offered the movie. I'm, I'm not a Lynch fan. I'm not. <laughs> I knew that, but I knew you you were uh, you you were more interested in Terry Gilliam. I, yeah, I, I love Terry Gilliam, and you know, and and I'm not a Lynch fan. I mean, I'll, I'll edify to say that I don't think his movies are all bad. I just think he's kind of overrated. But that being said, you know, if somebody were to defend Lynch to me, I'd listen. And if someone were to offer me a Lynch movie that meant something to them, I'd watch it. I just, you know, I, I think that he's – I've heard interviews with him where people said, well, what did you mean by that? And he's like, you'd tell me what I meant by that. And I just get the feeling that he, some of his, his avant-garde-ness is laziness where he's like, I'm just going to add like a bleeding monster creature in the corner that lives in the radiator. <laughs> and And it's just – Maybe it's not lazy because maybe it's really hard to make that work. But it, without the ability to say, well, this is what this means to me, I kind of wonder if I should care what it means to me. You know, if he wants me to make all the decisions without telling me what he was thinking, then it makes me wonder why I should bother to make my own assumptions about what it meant. And that's and I get I get bottled up in that when I watch David Lynch. 
He didn't care. Why should I? My my favorite is still Twin Peaks, and that's yeah. still. I don't know if I know exactly what's gone on there. Uh, he he's really 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 into this some form of transcendental meditation, and he made a documentary about him and it, and was uh, sending it around the country doing free showings. There's a there's a theater about a ten minute walk from my house, a single screen with a bar that does new movies and old movies, kind of depending on the day of the week. Cool. And they did a free showing there. And I don't know that much about that philosophy and that spirituality, but it kind of seemed like there's a lot of similar answers to questions as what does it mean to you that I don't know if that bleeds through. Because, I mean, he's really into it from, from what I could see. He was going around the world doing speeches on it and drawing these crazy graphs and timelines and stuff on uh, easels with big black markers. And he's, he's definitely a person that most people don't have no opinion of him that know. Right. I like Twin Peaks. I think that might've been part of what turned me away from David Lynch too, is, is by the third season of Twin Peaks, it was like there was nobody at the wheel and maybe he had left at that point. I, I don't know. But like, it's like somebody said, Hey, if we solve this crime, this thing's over. So they just started like muddying the water as much as they could to keep it going. And it just didn't seem to me like there was any plan. And when they did bring it to an end, it was like, oh, and by the way, we go to the Red Room and the midget will tell everybody that all the things that Agent Cooper said offhandedly are suddenly what the guy says. And that's somehow prophetic. I don't know. The last season of Twin Peaks turned me away and I never came back. I imagine they will not be uh, getting you back. I might give it a try. I might give it a try. I, I'm not. Sometimes I develop opinions that are unshakable. But, but you know, I, I've seen enough David Lynch that I liked to give him another shot. I, I just, you know, I, I kind of got burned on that one. Where it was like, man, I watched this whole thing, and it doesn't seem like <laughs> this was ever. It's kind of like people with Lost. You know, where people were watching Lost, and they're like, I don't think they have a plan here. So the writer said, Yeah, we do. We have a plan. And then they they wrapped it up. It's kind of like Lost, where it was like, this is never going to end. You know, you can't just keep adding elements that have nothing to do with things to try and keep the story going and keep people wondering. Because it, eventually people say, I'm not wondering because there's no plan. We just can't keep talking about Enemy Mind, can we? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's the way conversations uh, shoot off from the the movie. The, that's That's partially my plan for this show is there's a movie at the base of it and yeah. wherever the conversation ends up going that's where it goes I, I this was definitely a fun talk and we we got a lot of ground covered yeah is there any any last thoughts i think we've pretty much covered without running through the entire plot of enemy mine which right you know, we're not doing a review of it or anything if you haven't seen it and you've made it this far then you will definitely find the movie more interesting than our than our talk while it, while it was fun. Um, yeah. And if you have seen it, you know what we're talking about. And if you want to talk to me or anybody else that's on the group, dear listener, please stop by the Psychosemantic Podcast group. Talk about whatever. As long as everybody's respectful, it's all good. And uh, anything you'd like to plug, Mr. Bennett? I mean, 
I'm I'm super excited. I'm glad that you uh, offered me the opportunity to come on your show. I, I had a great conversation with you today, and I, I I didn't want to meander too much. I know that's part of the show, though, so I'm glad to have that opportunity. <laughs> Allowing me to meander is a a pretty dangerous thing to do. Um, we, I have a podcast. It's the Hail Ming Power Hour. I co-host it with uh, Rick Morgan, and uh, we do similar things to this. We talk about 80s movies, sci-fi movies, comedy movies, horror movies, you know, just, just whatever we remember from our childhood past or, or whatever memories we've made in our adulthood. And uh, we try and throw plenty of stuff in there to make it entertaining. So, you know, you can wander by there and, and see if it's something you want to check out. Legion Podcasts, like uh, like Darren mentioned. Is, is your name Darren? Just yes. Darren. Yeah, it's just Darren. It's um, My parents got it out of the Silmarillion, if you've ever read that book. I've never read it, but I know what it is. Okay. He's a elven lord musician that created a common alphabet for man, dwarves, and elves, and the others. I think it was called the Surf alphabet. I should know more about it, but... But that explains the different spelling of it. I, I want to make sure I said it right, but, you know, I, I don't think I've used it. I don't think I've ever... Darren, what do you think about this? <laughs> Darren, I liked Enemy Mine. Um, I went to ask you first off, but then I didn't... Well, I'm I'm glad I didn't make it uh, hard for you, but it's it, it would be the eight millionth time that it was mispronounced. I figured it was probably on the simpler side. I try and I try and hedge my bets that way. I was going to call you Danny because that's what your everything comes up as. But you know, some people like to be Dan, but I don't yeah. like to make that choice to shorten somebody else's name. Yeah, my name is Aaron Daniel, and I go by. Danny. So I've already kind of changed it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I know some Dan's and I'm not like them. So <laughs> that being said, I know that especially some of our, uh, across the ocean friends, you know, some of my UK friends and, and my Australian friend, the witch, you know, they, they tend to call me Dan and that's okay. I, if they just feel like that's a natural progression, I'm all right with it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. Uh, it was a blast, and thanks for your patience. I'm still learning as I go with this. Enemy Mine, I would check it out if you haven't before. And if you haven't before, thanks for listening anyway. Check out the Hail Ming Power Hour. Especially right now, remember the message of Enemy Mine. Learn about who you think might be your enemy, and you might not be. I'll catch you next time. Remember to duck and cover. Bye.